Hello there, Revenge of the Birds listeners. Thank you for tuning in to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, uh, always hosted by myself at Blake Murphy 7, Blake and Johnny at Johnny's Football. We have a special guest who's joining us here today to talk about the Arizona Cardinals and having a huge draft focus. We love the draft here on the pod. We wish we weren't talking about draft at this point in uh, November as we're entering December. It feels like we could have started talking draft after Week one, unfortunately, with this team. But we're joined by John Ledgerd uh, from the Draft Network, one of the premier, if not the premier, NFL draft sites on the web. Uh, he's one of the best writers on the site. I definitely recommend you following him. First of all, before we get started, John, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you. Uh, well, let's get started, at least, and just go over the Cardinals. What a lot of fans have been looking at is trying to figure out what went wrong with this team. Has it been the coaching, the talent? Uh, let, let's kind of get started, at least, with what kind of would be the biggest identifiers to you from a, a national perspective. What would you at least see as far as been the biggest flaw for the Cardinals, and how do they go about addressing and fixing it? Being able to dominate the line of scrimmage either side of the ball, to me, easily the biggest thing. Uh, you know, I mean, I think obviously defensively you have Chandler Jones, and that's a huge asset, but you know, just everything around them has not been, you know, Robert Kamdichie not really developing into the player that they hoped he would develop into. You know, Ronnie Gunter even has become like a solid player for them, but I think it, he was a, a mid-round pick for them and kind of a surprise mid-round pick. I remember nobody kind of hearing about who he even was before that. It was kind of a string of, of, of weird second, third, fourth round picks uh, from Steve Kime that didn't work out all over the ball. But, you know, Gunter has been an okay player for them, but just nobody dynamic. Uh, there's just no real difference maker on the defensive line other than Chandler Jones. And so defensive side of the ball, I think that's been an issue is that you have some, some solid players there that have some capable players there over the last couple of years. But you look at successful teams around the NFL right now and how they're winning and you need difference makers in that area of the field. And same thing for the offensive line. You know, you look at some of the best teams around the league and you just look at what's working. The Rams, the Saints, the Steelers, you know, the Patriots, uh, great offensive lines you're seeing, you know, the Chiefs. The offensive lines not only have really good players, but develop really good players and work together well as a unit. Um, And so I think that uh, that's something that's obviously a huge issue. Right now, it's missing completely, basically, from Arizona. I mean, even Justin Pugh, before he got hurt, was playing at a very average level at best. And you know, then he's got hurt. They're tied to him for the long term. You know, maybe Humphreys is the guy that is good enough to stick around, but certainly hasn't lived up to kind of the expectations, at least. Also, has struggled with injuries, to be fair. So, I mean, you're looking at replacing the other three spots, essentially, at this point. And so, a lot of work to be done um, you know, on both of those sides of the ball. But if you ask me where you start, it's in the trenches. They, they just have to be better there. You just can't win in today's NFL unless you're better in those areas of the field. Yep. Uh, John, John Venerable here. And I think we can all agree that that I think is the biggest area of need that the fans identify. You mentioned in your article, I think this is the growing consensus that the Cardinals need to move on from head coach Steve Wilkes. What was your thought process behind that? Because the Cardinals traditionally are not an organization that moves on from a head coach after just one year. Yeah. I mean, I don't think anyone really wants to be in that situation and most teams don't do that. And so I will be somewhat of a surprise if they do pull that trigger. I just, I look around at what's successful in the NFL and I don't think Steve Wilkes is like the worst first year head coach ever or anything like that, where, you know, he's so much more deserving of being fired than some of the other clowns that are out there. It's just, the reality of the situation is if you don't have that kind of a, a different mentality from your head coach than what he brings to the table, you know, something more creative, something more innovative, something that's less traditional, you know, you're just not going to be successful. You're going to waste Josh Rosen. 
Um, you're going to waste some of the good things that you have on this team. And so I just think that his mindset and what he wants to do with the team, I mean, look at them the other day, they're getting drilled the entire game. Then Rosen throws 19 passes. I mean, it's just you know, at one point, I think David Johnson ran the ball four times, even though they're getting, I mean, there's just no aggressive to open it up. And you guys saw at the beginning of the season that the opportunities to win the game, to win a couple of close games. It was, I can't remember the exact game, but just really getting conservative in those situations, you know, it just not trusting Rosen in those situations or really the rest of the team. I get the offensive line. I get, you know, what they're doing there. And, and the fact that there, there are some weaknesses, but that kind of mindset in a head coach, there's just no ceiling for an organization with it. I mean, it's, I think it's already kind of clear who Wilkes is and, you know, it's okay to admit a mistake and move on from it. Even this early, uh, you know, it's not, like I said, Wilkes is not the biggest train wreck I've ever seen in a first year head coach. But you know what your ceiling is, I think. I think it's so clear what your ceiling is with a guy like that. And maybe some people would think that's really preemptive to say at this point, and he deserves more of a chance. And I certainly understand that perspective as well. I'm not saying that it is 100% right what I'm saying. I'm just saying that when I look at the situation and I think, how do you get the most out of this roster? How do you get the most out of this quarterback that you just traded up for in the first round? You know, I just would never pick a guy like Steve Wilkes to be the head coach of an organization that's trying to get to where the Cardinals are trying to go. And so, you know, I know so there's some energy around Byron left, which, you know, I haven't studied per se the games that he's been around as coordinator. Um, I, I don't think that there's been anything there to really write home about, obviously, you know, to give him a fair assessment, he would need better talent and a much longer look for sure. But if you're the Cardinals, you're looking at that head coaching spot and you're saying, uh, look at Kansas city, look at Jared Goff's situation look at Patrick Mahomes' situation, look at all these young quarterbacks around like Carson Wentz, offensive-minded head coach, Deshaun Watson, offensive-minded head coach, Mahomes, Goff, all these guys are playing with offensive-minded head coaches. And I think that there's something to that. You know, that has really helped develop all of these guys. And to me, if you're Arizona, in terms of players on your roster right now that you can maximize, Rosen has to be far and away number one. And you have to do everything you possibly can, just like the Rams and Chiefs and all these other organizations did to make sure that he has the right guy alongside him to get him to his peak in the NFL. Yeah, I totally agree, John. I think part of the issue with the Cardinals is they entered the season and their main plan was fixing the offense by running the football a lot and then combining Mike McCoy and Sam Bradford. And uh, in the 34-0 loss to the Rams, we saw that didn't even get to the 50-yard line, didn't even make it past week three for Arizona. So I think that you're right that there's a whole lot as far as upgrading has to be done. And they kind of stumbled into Rosen as far as the third and the fifth round pick. Didn't cost as much to move up. Other teams weren't as looking for it. So it is kind of an area of maybe you backed into the situation. It's hard to be able to let the coach go. But again, after today, you have a 42 to 10 loss. It seems like the players in some cases have kind of quit on the head coach. And that's kind of a concerning detail where you maybe have an opportunity rather than being married to the guy long-term to be able to um, move on. I I did want to talk a little bit about what the offensive and defensive line, just because that's been kind of the big question. A lot of Cardinals fans have wondered about why does it seem like this team has never had a good offensive line in Phoenix. It's not for lack of trying. They've thrown first round picks at it. They've thrown uh, draft capital at, uh, excuse me, uh, not just other draft capital in other rounds, but uh, big contracts with Veltier, Iapati. A lot of injuries seem to have taken their toll, as you did mention for the most part. But again, you're still having to probably potentially start a seventh round 
rookie and you just cut Andre Smith, which was a terrible signing, which is kind of a question of how you made that signing in the first place. A lot of Cardinals fans are wondering now that he's been released. Why do you think it's taken Arizona so long to be able to find an offensive line to be able to feel? Is there anything as far as whether it's a matter of circumstance or is it just that there's part of the process behind the Arizona needs to evaluate and change? Some of it might be coaching. I mean, I'm not like, I haven't been as privy as you guys probably have over the years to the coaching situations with the offensive line in Arizona. Obviously, Bruce Arians scheme, as much as I do like certain things about it, it, it puts a lot on the offensive line, you know, the deep drops and, and some of the deep route progressions. It probably has made them look a little bit worse than what they are. Now, and you've seen even in recent years, you know, if you're looking at some of these other offenses, there are a lot of concepts that are being used right now in other offenses like play action, which Arizona has utilized heavily, which is probably the only reason Josh Rosen is still alive. You know, if, if, if you look at some of the other places around the league that are using those concepts so heavily, it's helping offensive lines. You know, I mean, Whitworth is obviously a good player in LA. Rob Havenstein has his limitations in pass protection. Both of those guys have been helped a lot by the fact that you have to respect play action uh, because the Rams can, you know, not necessarily the threat of running the ball, but you just have to respect your read in terms of play action. And, and, and when the Rams operate from that so often, it really just kind of causes a delay and makes life a little bit easier on the offensive line. So part of its player development, I think the other part of its scheme, you know, and, and when Arians was there, it was such a downfield, you know, passing attack with the, these deep drops. And it really just put a lot on the offensive line. I mean, you knew they were throwing the ball a ton and, you know, he didn't really run the, he was kind of the opposite of Wilkes in a lot of ways. Like, didn't, it took a while for him to kind of come around to running the ball. I think he did a little bit more his last season. But, um, you know, so when you take all those things into account, you say, okay, well, you can see guys were kind of teeing off. They knew what was coming. Um, so I think that that's made the process look worse as well. So combination of those two things. Um, and then this year, I think just the total lack of talent. I mean, there just isn't good players on, on their offensive line. I mean, Humphreys is okay. And I think again, with a better coach early on, maybe better coaching, he could have been a little bit more than he was, especially if he had stayed healthy and, and, and the whole time. And you know, I think he's been okay. But again, I, I think you can obviously have seen a higher ceiling for him coming out. At least I saw a higher ceiling for him coming out than what he's reached. And, you know, I, potty's injuries and he's been weak again, you know, in pass protection for years now. And, they haven't moved on from him and they should have. And, uh, you know, it's just things like that. And, you know, draft Mason Cole and, you know, Mason Cole has moved around all the time in college. And, you know, that probably didn't help him playing tackle last year for Michigan. And then he went to the senior bowl and you could kind of see the rawness at center and just, you know, not used to it again. And uh, so it might take some time for Mason Cole. He's just not that naturally strong. So I think power guys are always going to be somewhat of an issue for him. So you may always have some limitations with Mason Cole. You take a guy like that in the third round and, you know, at that point in the draft, you're, you know, offensive linemen are usually decently hard to come by anyway, and you're going to have to develop them if you take them there. So, you know, all that just to kind of say, you know, you mentioned Andre Smith already, but there just isn't enough talent there this year, whereas in the past there might have been other issues. Uh, this year it's just they're just not good enough talent-wise, and they've got to change that in, in this upcoming draft. John, what is your perception of the Cardinals' rookie draft class? Because I think nationally, you know, people who don't follow this team – Look at Josh Rosen, compare his numbers statistically to like a Baker Mayfield's who we believe has more to work with. Rosen has obviously very little to work with, but when we see the plays that he makes specifically, you know, throwing the ball downfield into tight windows, I think Cardinal fans are completely sold on him long term. But I think a lot of the public perception is, you know, he may not be the guy that 
a lot of people thought he was, and that was the most pro-ready prospect at quarterback to come out, specifically citing, let's say, the Denver game on Thursday night where he had you know, multiple interceptions. What have you seen from Rosen and, and potentially Christian Kirk that would get you excited about the future? Well, I think natural chemistry, you know, I think that they, that that's definitely been a thing that's come along for the two of them. You know, they're going to get a lot of reps together. They're going to get that opportunity together. There's something about a rookie receiver that has talent and a quarter young quarterback that has talent and both smart, hardworking, very kind of aware players that take their craft seriously. You know, that chemistry just to the intangibles, I think is going to create um, some tangible effect on the field uh, between the two of them working together. So I think that that's big, obviously. And Rosen, you know, he had a really good deep ball, especially as his shoulder came back later in the season for UCLA. The numbers didn't really suggest it because early in the season, his deep ball was so bad. If you, but if you watch the tape, you know, when his arm strength kind of started to return, similar to what we're seeing, honestly, with Andrew Luck this season, where at the beginning of the year he couldn't throw the deep ball, and then it's just come back more and more and more as he's kind of found that range again. You know, I mean, think about all the muscle memory that had to come back for Josh Rosen last year. So that's why I thought people really didn't look in the fine lines of his deep ball last year uh, as a passer and, and see how it progressed to the end of the season, man, he was just dropping dimes down the field. Um, and he was just such a better player than he was that, that for what that first week of the season, when they came back for that win against Texas A&M or whoever, you know, it was, it was, um, you know, that was a much of work, very much a work in progress. And then later in the season, you kind of see what it was. And this year, I think when I watched Josh Rosen, just been really impressed with how he throws the ball down the field and, you know, Kirk can, Kirk can make those kind of plays. You know, he played a ton in the slot in college and, and really didn't um, get a ton of chances down the field when he did. The, I thought it was, he was used in really pretty much the wrong way. And I think Arizona's even played him more on the outside recently and it could potentially look to, to find a slot and keep him outside because he does have that great speed. And, and, you know, certainly you bring him inside for bubble screens and things like that. And he can, be a guy that plays some versatile role, but you want him to be on the outside because he has that speed. And I thought that he did track the ball really, really well down the field um, when he was in college. So whether it's from the inside or the outside, he's kind of that versatility is going to be really valuable with him that speed. And then he's just got to continue to develop as a route runner, um, how he sees the field and then finishing with the hands, obviously early on. I know he had some drops issues. So um, is he ever going to be amazing outside his frame? Is he ever going to be a, quote unquote, true number one. I don't know if I see that kind of ability with him, but certainly a guy who can be really complimentary in what he brings to the table does kind of remind me a little bit of Robert Woods. And if he reaches his peak, maybe as a player, while it took Woods a couple of years, I think maybe he could be a similar type of player to Robert Woods in LA. Uh, so I think that there's definitely something to there. And then you guys know, I love Rose. And I think that uh, the better they protect him, basically, the, the more confident he's just going to get back there. Um, and you're just going to see better and better decision-making, and especially as receivers come open quicker uh, and as the concepts get a little more friendly. Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of Cardinals fans are looking at the Rams offense and how they've reconstructed and have thought the Cardinals took the opposite approach as far as the defensive head coach trying to bring in an offensive uh, kind of former head coach to be able to kind of you know, walk him through the steps has not worked out at all for that one. They're looking now at kind of that offensive line of Rosen's attempted, I think the highest number of difficulty of passes in the NFL, as far as tight window throws. Some of that I think is the McCoy offense that's still lingering. Uh, he's also an aggressive quarterback and being able to have coaching that can scheme wide receivers open where he can be able to make those reads and hit guys, I think is a big step. Um, John, one thing we uh, do want to mention and talk about at least was there's a lot of discussion about with Patrick Peterson, there was whispers and rumblings about there were potential trade 
trade rumors, trade talks. None of them seem to be coming from Arizona. Put it away for all them, kind of the bombshell drop of Peterson had demanded a trade. Cardinals and Peterson seem to be on the outs, at least right now. I, I think that it's either going to come down to having to renegotiate for a large deal. He's got two affordable years left on his contract. Or what we're wondering is, with the season going with – how it's going. Is it possible the Cardinals should consider trading Patrick Peterson? And what would then be your perspective on if that's you know the right decision or what would be the return the Cardinals then would be looking for as far as if it'd be trying to get acquire draft capital, at least in this year's draft class? I think it has to at least be a first and either a second or a third, uh, what they would be trying to get back for that. I can't imagine it would be a whole lot less than that, or, you know, play or something comparable to that. You have to come away with two high picks, I think. And one of those has to be a first rounder, obviously. Um, you know, people have said, why wouldn't he get what Khalil Mack gets? I, I don't, you know, corners aren't valued like pass rushers are as good a corner as he is. I don't know that he would get two first rounders and then some, what would he get, you know, you know, third and trade the second or whatever the Raiders did. You know, I, I don't know if you get quite that back for Patrick Peterson, but I don't think a first and a second is out of the question. Um, you know, problem is, where is the first round pick? You know, at the time of the Khalil Mack trade, just using that as an example, you know, the Raiders kind of thought that the Bears were going to be bad, which has really backfired them on uh, on them in, in a really catastrophe like way. But I think that when you look at that situation and you say, okay, who's going to trade for Patrick Peterson? Uh, the Patriots, the Chiefs, God, I hope the Steelers, but probably not. I mean, you look at those teams and you're like, well, these teams are drafted in the back end of the first round. You know, I mean, the Rams, I'm sure, will look at them like they always do, depending on who they lose in free agency this year. So, you know, you're all looking at teams that are, are drafted late uh, that are going to want to trade for them. And so, then maybe the price is up, and you are looking for multiple first rounders. And how do you work out a deal where you're getting still a uh, kind of a valuable pick for Patrick Peterson or valuable enough picks? Really weird situation because Peterson is still pretty young and is still clearly in his prime and, and is a complete difference maker at corner. Um, you know, arguably the best corner in the league. Uh, so it is, it is a really interesting discussion because should Arizona trade him? I mean, ideally I would say no, but there's no way they're going to be competitive next year. And then you're in the last year of his deal and you certainly don't want to renegotiate and pay a massive contract to him. I don't know. I don't think when, you know, he is going to be at that point in his career. Uh, I mean, let's look at it this way for Arizona. They certainly have the money to be able to do that. So if that's the way, the direction they want to go, that's completely fine with me because he's a guy you want long-term to be around the organization, everything that he brings to the table, who he is as a person, you you want him to be around long-term to the organization. So if that's something they feel like they can work out for him and he doesn't mind being in a situation that's probably going to be bad for the next couple of years, then okay. But I just think if you're him, you would want to go win, you know, somewhere where you're going to get paid anyway. Um, so we'll see what happens with this situation. It is a hard one to comment from the outside looking in because there are a lot of kind of unknowns with that situation in terms of how unhappy is he? Is he just unhappy in Arizona or is he going to want to be paid more to stay there? Is he going to kind of hold them, their situation hostage against them? Um, you know, so they have to kind of gauge all that, but the biggest thing is rebuilding. And if it's, if it's an irreparable situation, you've got to get great picks for him, rebuild and move on. Uh, because yeah, they just aren't going to be competitive uh, in the next two years, I don't think. And so um, they've got to look at the situation practically and make a decision based on that uh, if it's going to be a situation that hangs over their head. But if it can be repaired, he's a great player and they should find a way to keep keep him around. Yeah, definitely, especially if that is affordable of a deal as that is. 
Hey, John, what do you think about this opening for the Arizona Cardinals? If, if Wilkes is indeed fired at the end of the season, let's say they keep Steve Keim around. I've heard it you know, from a national perspective that the Cardinals job wouldn't be deemed as overly, uh, you know, good. Uh, they, I've, I've seen them, you know, ranked as one of the worst openings in the league, but I would counter to say that they've got a franchise quarterback who's on a rookie deal. They're going to have 70 plus million dollars in cap space and they're going to have a top five pick. Plus I would think any coach that's brought in is going to have a long leash considering the fact that Wilkes was fired on just, a, you know, after one year, they're going to convince whomever to come in that they're going to have more time. A la what the Niners are doing with, with Kyle Shanahan. I would think that this job to me is one of the better jobs in football, especially when you consider the last two times the Cardinals have had to try to find a, a head coach, Bruce Arians and Steve Wilkes. They didn't have a franchise quarterback in place. And now they do. What are your thoughts on the Cardinals being a desirable place for some of these free agent coaches? There's so many similarities between this Cardinal situation and uh, the Rams situation a couple of years ago. And I know you guys, I'm guessing you've probably even discussed that obviously being in the same division, but it's just, it's just kind of uncanny to look at it. I mean, the Ram situation was thought of as the same way, right? I mean, you had an archaic head coach kind of who was there, who old school way of doing things, wasn't working at all, totally ineffective. And that's exactly what it looks like with Wilkes so far. Now, just a, a perspective that's outdated for the NFL. You know, if it was ever good, that's up for debate. Clearly isn't good today. That's not up for debate. So uh, you have that kind of a situation. You have this young quarterback who's making a lot of mistakes as a rookie, obviously showing unbelievable flashes, which may even be more than Jared Goff did as a rookie. I just remember his rookie season being mostly miserable. And so you've got such a similar situation there. The Rams were not thought of as a coveted coaching landing spot at all. You know, they're not thought of as one of the more major organizations in the NFL. The Cardinals are thought of in the same vein, you know, teams out West and it just kind of, you know, everything just kind of, piles up in that regard and you look at the organizations and you're just like, this isn't really a desirable spot. Goff was there, but he struggled as a rookie. And, you know, there was those questions. About how many people were calling for him to get cut as a, I mean, it was just absurd. It was ridiculous. That was the kind of situation where the Rams and all of a sudden boom, things turn around one season. I don't know if you're looking at that type of a situation for the, the Cardinals. You know, it's just not realistic to see that happen. You know, you don't want to bet on that happening too often anyway. But I think at the same time, that's how the right guy's going to see it. That's how the right guy has to see it. He has to see a quarterback with Rosen's talent. I mean, Rosen's talent just doesn't come along every day. It just doesn't. You don't have a quarterback who thinks the game at his level and also has the physical skills to maximize that mental process with what he can do on the field with his arm. I mean, so you just don't get that all the time. So I don't even care about the turnovers for rookies. I really don't. You know, he challenges windows. A lot of those have not even been on him. I know, but, um, that part wouldn't scare me at all. I would, in fact, be excited about a quarterback aggressive enough to maximize my offense. And that's what you see with Rosen. So, man, if you're not excited about that as an offensive guy, you know, I just, I think the right guy will be. And the right guy will be, will have the opportunity to be available too, I think. So, I mean, it's about finding that fit, obviously. There's no question about that. But there may not be 10 guys lining up for the job like there would be in some other, you know, bigger spots around the league in Dallas, for example, like if it opened up for whatever reason. But, um, I do think that there's some good things about Arizona. Like you said, you have to look at the situation seriously. You know, they need like five, six starters on both sides of the ball that they don't have now, at least. So, I mean, you have to use that cap space. You have to use it wisely. You have to honestly treat it a lot like Chris Ballard treated things within Indianapolis. It's a slow process. You build up the lines exactly how he did in this past draft. You build up the, the front seven on defense. You build up the offensive line. You protect your quarterback. 
and you can make do with the playmakers you have on offense from some guys in free agency like Eric Ebron and things like that um, until you have the opportunity to go out and use some what he would probably describe as luxury picked on those types of positions, but you have to get your meat in the trenches. So if they have that kind of a perspective in Arizona, then they get a head coach that's on board with that kind of perspective. I just think that's the most important thing uh, to be able to do that and, and get a guy who is going to click with Josh Rosen and going to get the most out of it. So I'm not saying that everybody's going to be interested in the job, but I don't think it's this you know job that you have to absolutely hate where they're in cap hell and there's just no chance of uh, being able to do it. They don't have a first round pick or, you know, something crazy like that. I don't think that's the situation you're talking about here. Um, so I think that the Cardinals job will be more attractive probably than the national media will make it down. Yeah, I think that's kind of in the discussion in Arizona. Hey, uh, John, while we're going over the kind of the breakdown of the offseason, we've talked about with the head coach, at least with that, as far as for probably having to move on from Wilkes. We'll continue to kind of just look at a little bit with free agency and then kind of end with the draft. But who would be the head coaching candidates that you, at least right now, uh, on the end of November, would be looking at for the Cardinals? Because they it's going to be hard for them to, I think, take a chance on a guy, even like a, a Byron Leftwich. Some have talked about promoting him. Uh, I don't know if it's been impressive enough to be able to say, yes, this guy needs to to be the next head coach, but you're also with an inexperienced guy, folks are going to have a hard time finding that balance of experience with freshness. Who are the candidates that you would have Arizona be looking to pursue on maybe an NFL or even a collegiate level? Well, I look at the Rams situation again. I say Les Snead went out, he identified his guy, he knew who he wanted it, he was extremely persuasive in bringing him in. And the quarterback helped with that. McVeigh said, been open about that. When he met Jared, he knew that the valet was the place for him. And that has to be the situation in Arizona. If Steve time is just going to go with something easy that's there and that's safe when Byron left, which I'm sorry, he's not the guy you fire Steve time because you have to go out and get the right guy and be aggressive and sell him. You have to, uh, you cannot sit back and let whatever happen, happen. You know I mean? Like it was last year, honestly with Wilkes. So, uh, you know, you can't do that. So, I think, I mean, obviously the real situation, they didn't know they'd be landing a rookie quarterback. They didn't know all that. Uh, and so I get that. And that's another reason why I think it's okay to move on from a guy like Steve Wilkes. Things happen you didn't expect. But when you look at this situation, if you're Steve Kime and you look at the options that are kind of available to you, it is very difficult for me on the outside to say who will be a good head coach in the NFL. I just don't know. There's so much that goes into that position that I can't identify from the outside, you know, personality wise, leadership wise, you know, as an offensive mind, for example, I'd love to see Josh McDaniels with Josh Rosen, but the reality of the situation is I can't count on Josh McDaniels as a human being to save my life. So I would never offer a bad coaching job that one, you know, but there's a lot of situations like that around the league where you might not know the guy's personality. And so it might end up being a bad fit as an offensive scheme perspective, man. I just think the things John DeFilippo does with his offense would be awesome to see in Arizona, you know, moving guys around and using players in versatile fashion and treating like a wide receiver core, you know, really kind of like a basketball team and using players in different functions that kind of are maximize their strength. Um, and I just think that that kind of stuff is, is really essential in today's NFL, getting the backs involved in the passing game as well. And huge for Arizona, obviously, um, you know, so I think that the fit there makes a ton of sense to me. And the Philip was kind of a, He's innovative. He's thoughtful. He's always looking for a new angle. He's very intelligent. He loves to kind of communicate and discuss. And I just think even when I know of him personality wise, I just think Rosen would be like really ignited by that type of a presence. And, and I think DeFilippo would not shy away from a personality like Rosen. You know, not that we've even seen, I don't, 
I don't even know what that means when I say it, but I just know that that's how people talk about it. But I, to me, he just seems like a normal dude. But um, from the outside, you know, I guess you always hear that Rosen, you know, likes to challenge concepts and ask why and things like that. And I think DeFilippo would respond really well to that. So I just think that that fit to me makes a lot of sense from the outside. I don't know how he is as a leader. I don't know. You know, any of those kind of things are hard to say, but I would love to see him get the chance to, to work an offense with Josh Rosen. Hey, John, when you look at the, the draft, you know, next April, the Cardinals could very well have the first overall pick. It's going to be between them and, and the Niners, theoretically, uh, as to who's going to get that first pick. If the Cardinals do, in fact, land that pick, why are you so convinced that, that Nick Bosa would be the obvious choice outside of a, a trade down for a bounty for a quarterback? Why, why, when you have Chandler Jones in the fold, you've got some other developmental pass rushers that you might be excited about. The team could bring back Marcos Golden. You have so many other needs, specifically interior defensive line, offensive line. Um, why is Nick Bosa the obvious choice to you? Because pass rushers are make that big of a difference. The high-end pass rushers make that big of a difference. And I think that you know, Quinn and Williams at Oliver, those guys are talented in their own right for sure. And I don't know that I'd say either of those guys are a wrong pick per se. You just can't pass up a talent like Nick Bosa. You can't pass up two. I mean, you could all, honestly, Chandler Jones might be the best pass rusher in the NFL right now. I think that's a very good argument for that. And I think the numbers back that up in a lot of ways. You could honestly make a case that Nick Bosa would be in that conversation. I mean, Joey Bosa was in that conversation. If we're being honest, even though we wanted to see bigger sample size, he was in that conversation as a rookie. I mean, Nick Bosa is in that conversation as a rookie, in my opinion. You know, he's in that, not for maybe the best, but he's in the conversation for one of the top guys as a rookie. I can't say that about anybody else in the class, uh, that they're in the best in their position as a rookie. You know, I just think he's that dynamic of a player. So you get that off the edge, you know, you can add guys on the inside, and especially in this class, that the interior defensive line class is so deep. Uh, you can add difference makers at that position later. Um, really, just in general, if you look around the NFL, there was a very high bar for interior defensive line play. I mean, almost everybody is good in the NFL. You know, you might not have pass rushers everywhere, but there's not many bad players on interior defensive line in the NFL. You know, if you're on a roster, you usually can play. There are not many uh, players that are really disappointing. So I just think it's easier to find talent in, the, in those spots and a lot harder to find a guy, uh, you know, any t- talent in general, but especially a guy with Bosa's talent off the edge and, and the value of that position, being able to have a guy like that on a rookie contract that's going to produce and kill opposing drives the way he will. Um, I just think that that's, you cannot pass that up now, a more likely scenario for Arizona at this point, because I look at San Francisco, I mean, San Francisco lost to Arizona twice, man. Like I cannot see them winning another game the way that they're at right now. I mean, they are, they are terrible right now. So let's just say San Francisco doesn't win another game, even strength of schedule. I think that they're clearly going to have the upper hand on, on getting that number one pick. Um, Arizona at number two is fascinating uh, to me. I, I hope that's the way it plays out because I think it's fascinating because they have so many needs and there's going to be teams trying to get up to get a quarterback and they can basically hold the draft ransom because I don't think the 49ers will move. They don't have as many needs. They can fill a couple holes in free agency and they can feel like they, they can sit there and get Bosa and get their guy. So maybe they move down. I don't know, but I think they like to stay there and get Bosa, get their guy. Uh, they've been needing that pass rusher so much. And so, I think when you look at the situation, you're going to, I mean, San Francisco looked at Khalil Mack, don't forget. Uh, but I think when you look at this situation, you see the 49ers taking Bosa, you see the Cardinals sitting at number two and saying, we could do a lot of different things. We could take Gwyneth Williams. We could take it Oliver. We could trade down and probably still get one of them. You know, let's say the giants are a five. They want to jump up for a quarterback. We could trade down 
Finn still probably get one of those guys, or we could take Jonah Williams, who would be an absolute plug and play stud and a huge lifesaver for Josh Rosen. Um, so there's a lot of options for Arizona. I would love to see them trade down from that spot uh, and still get a really good difference making player and stockpile pick uh, for now and for the future. If you look at Arizona and you say, why wouldn't a head coach want to come there? Why wouldn't a GM want to come there? What's they don't have enough pick. That would be the one thing I would say that might scare people away. It shouldn't, but because if you're good at your job, you get more. But that would be the one thing maybe I, I would say that a GM would want to come in and, and see that. A head coach would want to come in and see that. Well, this is an opportunity to take it number two, I think. that This is a prime opportunity to slide down a couple spots, still get a bunch of picks, still get a really good difference-making player. Let's say the Raiders want to jump up. <laughs> maybe you get the Raiders, one of their other first-round picks in that jump up, and all of a sudden you've got – You've changed the game. You've got a whole lot more to play with because I think that's the kind of situation Arizona could find themselves in the draft. So I don't think all is lost if they end up at that number two pick. I think that could be a really, really ideal situation for them. Obviously, you got to make your picks count if you get more of them. But if they can do that, I think they could really get this started in terms of turning around the organization. Yeah, if the Raiders did decide to move up and trade with the Cardinals after already kind of, you know, giving up Josh Rosen for a third and a fifth, at least, that probably would make Cardinals fans very, very big John Gruden fans in a, a lot of different ways. <laughs> Gruden did end up beating Arizona. And, you know, like you're saying, maybe if there is any type of Patrick Peterson deal and there's a trade down, Arizona could end up seeing a lot of picks pretty quickly. As we kind of finish as our last part of the uh, interview for tonight, I just wanted to go over free agency. The Cardinals obviously have a lot of cap space, not as much as some other teams, but they're going to be probably about 60 maybe 70 million in cap space depending on what goes on with the status of Larry Fitzgerald obviously you'd want to see if you could have him back for another season depending on with Peterson and some of their other veterans who would be some of the free agents that you think that Arizona should at least consider or would be able to look after because for me it, it doesn't really start with the trenches but there may be more other needs that open up depending on what happens at wide receiver and that cornerback because you may potentially be losing two of those core players if those guys do leave yeah, I mean, I think that there's a lot of options that they look at. I wrote about some of them in that piece. Uh, I think Ramon Foster was a guy on the offensive line, you know, a guy you're going to get for cheap, short-term deal, but they need a leader, man. They need somebody who's been, a, you know, been around, who knows kind of how the NFL works, who communicates at a high level, who's a great presence in the locker room, who can help out Rosen with protections, who can do all those kind of things. He does all that stuff for Pittsburgh. Um, he is He's a stud. He's looking to cash in for a 33-year-old. You know, I mean, he's not looking for it, but he's still played at a really high level this season. Um, he's been at a high level for years now. Um, he just, he's the kind of guy you want in your locker room. I mean, I talked to him all the time uh, when I was covering the Steelers. And, you know, he's, he's a great person. He works extremely hard. He's a terrific communicator. Now he's going to take the young guys under the wing and develop them. He's going to take Mason Cole under the wing and help develop him. Um, he's the kind of guy you want to add uh, to that group, I think. Um, so I think that you know, he's one, obviously there's some other guys in free agency, you know, Matt Paradis from Denver uh, is, is another guy to me. I just look at Cole and I'm like, I would love to just kind of let this guy develop a little bit, maybe try him at guard, but I just, you can't, I don't know that you can go into next season with that significant of a concern at the center position. That's just so important for your quarterback. So in, in some ways, Foster would alleviate that, but I mean, I would still try and upgrade that position if possible. There's going to be some options in free agency. You know, to me, you got to find veterans uh, in some ways. Not that I'm ruling out Jonah Williams because he plays like a veteran, but I think you have to find some veterans in the in the in the uh, in the off season at free agency to play on the offensive line. You can't have a bunch of rookies going out there, even if they're talented. They're just going to get killed, you know. I mean, it's just there's too much the defensive story. Like I said, there's so much defensive line talent, especially in the interior in today's NFL. 
that it's just it, hardly any rookie offensive lineman hit the ground running. So uh, I think you've got to get some veterans. You've got to get some guys that have a little more of a sample size on tape that you can trust uh, in there to protect your franchise quarterback. That has to be priority number one, I think. And then, you know, you look around at what's available. You know, maybe it's a safety. Uh, maybe it's a defensive back. You know, I, I mentioned Atlantic Collins, I think, in the piece that I wrote on the Cardinals and their offseason plan. And you know, I'd love to see them poke around there. I, again, I think the Giants probably try and match anything and bring him back. And, you know, they're already, you know, pretty much rebuilding. So, I mean, maybe they would let him walk because of that, but maybe they also wanted to kind of spearhead that move up. And so um, I think that uh, he's worth looking at and some other guys, you know, Tyron Matthews going to be out there. I'm not a put, he's, he's really putting together a nice season for the Texans. And again, you need guys that are going to play with an edge, going to have character, going to communicate things like that. And obviously he brings that to the table and, you know, I'm sure that him coming back there could be of interest to them. And so, um, you know, there's some options there. You have to find, I think, another helper uh, in the secondary. Buda Baker in the slot, Patrick Peterson outside of these days. That Those are answers, but everywhere else, lots of question marks. So I think, you know, keep Trey Boston around. I wrote, I like that. I think that he's played well enough, even though he's not going to be like a, you know, ball hawking difference maker. But I think if you can find another guy uh, at safety and another guy corner on the outside, then you're really helping yourself out and obviously poke around on Sheldon Richardson, but I think the Vikings are probably going to try and cash in on him. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us tonight, John. Uh, Johnny, are there any other questions you were thinking of at least for John? I'll leave uh, you know, got a captive audience over here. <laughs> no, I, uh, you, I think John, you've hit on most everything that, that we've touched on. It, it gets harder and harder to do these podcasts every week because so many of the games mirror each other. They're just so non-competitive. So it's great to have somebody with your insight uh, joining us and, and give us a little outsider's perspective on the team. So thanks so much. Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it. And that is John Ledger again of the Draft Network. Make sure you check out his article under Fixing the Arizona Cardinals for 2019. Make sure you also check out his work. Subscribe to him on Twitter as well. Hello, I'm Ashley Carmen. I'm Caitlin Tiffany. We're the hosts of Why'd You Push That Button, the Verge's show about all the choices technology forces us to make. We're back for season three, talking about questions like, why do you delete your tweets? And why do you type in lowercase letters that make you seem like a serial killer? And why are you on an exclusive dating app? You're not that special. We're releasing a new episode every Wednesday, and you can find this anywhere you typically find podcasts, which is Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts. So go ahead and subscribe and check us out.